the children can be dismissed to Children's Church at this time. And we're going to give them a moment to make their exit before we read the word. Enjoy the happy sounds. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 6. Listen first to these words of Jesus from Luke 12, 8 through 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities... Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say. And now listen to these words of the Apostle Paul, with whom Luke traveled from Ephesians 6, 18b through 20. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. There are two kinds of people in this world. People who believe that there are two kinds of people in this world and people who don't. There are also two kinds of people in this world. Those that thought that that introduction was humorous and those that didn't, but that's all right. There is a reason that I opened with that line. And in fact, in true Baptist preacher fashion, there are three reasons. Let me share those with you real briefly. The first reason that I opened with that line is that I stole it from someone. It was delivered almost 10 years ago to this day by Pastor Mark Dever at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. At the time, my wife and I were members of that church, and I had the opportunity to serve as a pastoral intern to Dr. Dever. And that line, for whatever reason, has stood out to me more than perhaps any other line that I've ever heard in terms of an opening line for a sermon. The second reason that I shared that opening with you is because our entire pastoral staff is with Dr. Dever right now at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. And so many of you know that. The wives are here. Your husbands are there. Um, and so they are at Capitol Hill Baptist Church right now attending an event called a Weekender, which is an opportunity for pastors and elders and, and ministers to gather to observe Capitol Hill Baptist Church, how they undertake the ministry and how they seek to be a healthy church and encourage others to be healthy churches. And so... As I was preparing for this message in their absence, I thought about my connection to Capitol Hill Baptist Church and the fact that they're there. And so I wanted to share that with you. The third reason that I'm sharing that opening line with you, and in fact the reason that I keep referring back to it, is because there are indeed two kinds of people in this world. And this time I am being a little bit more serious. There are people who have embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there are people who have not. Now, we'll talk more about this third point in far greater detail a little bit later on, but for now, a bit more background. When Pastor Brandon asked me to preach several weeks ago, he gave me license to branch away from Luke. And as you'll see in a little bit, we will branch away. We'll be in Luke a little bit, and we'll branch away. But he asked me to, instead of continuing on in the current sermon series, to share with you a little bit more about myself and about what God has been doing in my life lately. And there are reasons for that. As many of you know, I am currently an elder candidate here at Jefferson Avenue, and Lord willing, I'll begin serving more fully as a full-blown elder in the not-too-distant future. And it is my extreme desire to serve God and his church in that capacity. 
In, in fact, I served as a full-time minister for about 10 years throughout most of my 20s and into my early 30s. And it is my desire to serve him in that similar way, not necessarily in, in paid ministry, but in ministry to the church. And so I'm delighted at the prospect of, of serving this church in that capacity. When my wife and I lived in Washington, D.C., we served as church planters in our nation's capital. And it was difficult work. I, I served at Capitol Hill Baptist Church and then a few miles away in another neighborhood of Washington, D.C. And that work was immensely difficult for us. But God blessed us and he blessed our ministry while we were there. But for some reasons, unbeknownst to us at the time and still unbeknownst to us, he called us back home from that ministry. To us, it seemed his work ended prematurely, abruptly, without any reason. Uh, and so we, we made our way back here to Springfield, where we have family. We sought for a long time ministry opportunities, either from Springfield or elsewhere that we could move to. But it seemed at the time there were no opportunities fitting for our family. And so I decided to pursue a, a second master's degree in education so that I could become a teacher with the hopes and goals for Elena and I to move back to Washington, D.C. to continue our work as church planters there. That was nearly 10 years ago, and we're not there. <laughs> and it doesn't look like we're going to be returning, at least anytime soon. And so we had this strong desire to follow in the, the footsteps of the Apostle Paul as tent-making missionaries and church planters and pastors. They're not pastors, me, a pastor, and her, a church pastor's wife. But it seems that God had other plans for us. When we came back to Missouri, we got involved with, with a local church, and we helped to plant another church here in Springfield. And by God's grace, I was able to, to serve alongside the elders of that church. And it's an interesting thing that that church initially gathered here in this space, in this room, and in the children's ministry area. And I had the opportunity to voice the, the initial words in the life of that church from this stage. A different church, but it was here in this room. And I've had the opportunity since then to baptize both of my children, Abigail and Robert, here in this room. And it seems that God has had very different plans for us than we thought we had for ourselves. And so we are here, and we are grateful and honored and glad to be here. And we hope that God keeps us here for as long as he wills. We hope that's a long time. So again, I hope to serve you for many, many years as, as one of your elders. When we think about the calls that God places on our lives, sometimes those calls are clearer than others. And so for me, I have been struggling for, for years to, to sort of ascertain or figure out exactly what is it that God wants me to do. But at this point in my life, I am sure that God wants me to be here. And my wife is sure that God wants her to be here. And our children, I can't tell you how sure they are that God wants them to be here. They love it here, and, and we love it here as a family. So we're delighted to be here. Having said all that, by way of introduction, this is the most difficult sermon that I've ever prepared for. Mostly because some 10 years ago, when I was last a regularly preaching pastor, I let God determine the content of my messages. And that's not to say that I didn't consult him for today's message. I, I did. But when I was a preaching pastor, I would always preach through books of the Bible and thereby let God set the agenda for me. And so we'd start with a deep dive into the historical context and those sorts of things. Then we'd go through chapter 1, verse 1, and so on. And since that's not the sort of occasion for today, I decided to go a different route. And again, with Brandon's encouragement, um, I have decided to focus on a, a few texts that God has really been weighing on me lately. So with that said, if you're unhappy with the content of this message, please feel free to take it up with Pastor Brandon next week because he encouraged me to preach this. So with that, let's pray. Father God, may you fill me and us with your spirit today, the spirit of truth that leads us into all wisdom and discernment. Would you please guide my words in ways that are consistent with your word and your way? Help us to wrestle faithfully with whatever you call us to do. And help us to believe that you supply us with more than enough grace to do all the things that please you. And may your will prevail to your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So once again, there are two kinds of people in this world. People who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and people who don't. Unless you think you already fall into that former camp, those who, who sort of fully embrace the gospel and all that it entails, I'd like to invite you to remain open 
to at least the possibility that maybe you're still in the latter camp. Maybe you have yet to fully embrace the gospel. Now, if you're in Christ, I'm not asking you, I'm not encouraging you to, to sort of question your salvation. That's not what I'm getting at at all. I'm just asking you to consider that perhaps there are some ways that God has called you and is calling you into fuller gospel ministry. So that's what I'm asking you to consider today if you are already in Christ. If you are not yet in Christ, if you have not yet surrendered your life to Christ, I hope and pray that you will consider my words closely as well, but that you don't just listen to me, but God's word, and we're going to be in God's word a lot this morning. But I ask that, that you would be listening for him, listening for his spirit, for I believe, as, as Jeff even voiced in his prayer, I believe that the Holy Spirit is actively at work in all of our lives, whether we're in Christ or not. He, he's drawing us to him. And as we'll see later on in 2 Peter 3.9, God you know, is not willing that any should perish, but he desires that all would come to repentance. And the Holy Spirit is, is roaming around, and, and he is desiring that we would listen to his call. And so if you are not in Christ, I ask that you would listen for him today. Consider this real briefly, and this is mostly for those of you who, who are not yet in Christ. Solomon, in Proverbs 1.20, says these words. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. There's a reference even in that first song that we were talking about God sort of transforming our streets. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. That wisdom, of course, comes from God's word and is reinforced by his spirit. And Solomon goes on and says, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools leads to their destruction. If you're an unbeliever today, it's like this personification of wisdom is, is begging you to turn away from your rebellion against God and your rejection of him. It's like wisdom is calling you, asking how long will you go on rejecting him? But, but listen to wisdom's gracious offer in verses 23 and 33. If you turn to my reproof at, at the just correction that God's word offers, if you turn to my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And then in 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. If you are not in Christ, I hope and pray that you will listen for the Spirit calling you today to respond to this generous offer, this gracious offer. And as Pastor Brandon said recently from this pulpit, if you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, the gates of the kingdom are open. They're open to you right now, but they will not always be. So listen for the voice of the king of that kingdom. If he is calling you to his kingdom, hear his voice, turn from your sins, and believe in him, and you will be saved. Yeah. Amen. But, but more on that later, okay? For now, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I'd like you to uh, join me in turning to the book of Luke, chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. Now, as you're turning there, you might recall that I said I was going to stray away from Luke today, and I am, in due time. So we're going to start here, and then we're going to look at the, uh, the other passage that Lynn read just a few moments ago. In Luke 12, 8, Jesus says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. These words were the thrust of Pastor Brandon's message last week, but let's keep moving into the next couple of verses. And I hope I'm not stepping on his toes for next week, but let's look at them briefly today. Verse 11 says, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I want to camp out there in those two verses for just a few moments. And then we'll spend the bulk of our time thinking about some application of those verses for somebody else in the Bible and then for ourselves. So, so let's consider those two verses, uh, Luke chapter 12, 11, and 12. So I want to ask this question. Who is Jesus' audience here in these verses? You can look at it for a moment and think about who is he talking to. 
if we see in that immediate passage uh, one audience, we have to be aware that there may have been other audiences. And so if we go back to verse 1 of that chapter, Luke tells us that Jesus was speaking to the many thousands of the people who had gathered together to listen to Jesus' teachings. And that he began to speak to his disciples first. So keeping in mind that he talked to an enormous crowd, he spoke first to his disciples. That implies that he is also secondarily speaking to others. And so that could be those many thousands that were gathered there. We can assume that many of them were already in Christ, many of them were not. And so he was speaking both to believers and to non-believers. He was speaking to his disciples whom he had called already to follow him. And he was calling or speaking rather to other people as well. So let's keep that in mind. In verse 4, as he's starting out talking to his disciples, he calls them his friends. Can you imagine how sweet that must have been for them? For Jesus to look at them in the eye and say, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill your bodies. Here he is telling them, and they didn't yet fully know who he was, a lot of them. But here is the Messiah promised from ages past who's come and is in their midst, and he's telling them, do not fear. Do not fear. And again, he calls them friends. Now, as, as we continue on, we see more of sort of his, his graciousness here. And he is a sovereign and gracious Lord, fully capable and willing to, to sustain them and us, even in the most difficult of circumstances, and to deliver us safely to an eternity of eternal bliss with God the Father. But, but then, as we jump to verse 8, we see that Jesus says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. So he's casting a wider and wider net. First to his disciples, those he called friends, then to the many thousands gathered, and now he's, he's sharing that this offer is available to everyone who would acknowledge him before men. So this is a wide appeal, and it's open to everyone who believes. His kingdom has been open now for, for thousands of years to billions of souls, but, but listen to Peter's heartfelt warning in 2 Peter 3, 8-10. through 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. And notice there, Peter says, beloved. He's talking to believers here. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So the kingdom gates are open now, but there is coming a day when they will no longer be. Notice there in, in 2 Peter who Peter's audience was. I, I, I kind of pointed that out at the beginning. He's talking to his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's telling them that this kingdom is not going to be open forever. They're already a part of it. So his point must not be, hey, repent and believe. He has a different point. If he's talking to people who are already part of the kingdom and saying, hey, this kingdom is not going to be open forever, he must have another point, and in fact, he does. In this passage and elsewhere in Peter and, and many of the passages we've already looked at and a few that we're going to look at in a moment, here Peter is drawing his audience's attention to God's characteristics, to his faithfulness, his patience, and his desire that no one would perish, but that everyone might come to repentance and faith. Peter is calling his audience, again, his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, to be more like God, to adopt God's qualities, to live out their lives in such a way that others might, might see their good works and hear their, their words testifying to the good word and that they might be redeemed. So he's calling them to work towards that same end, to be God's messengers of hope and light in the world of darkness. After all, that's what Jesus' own ministry was all about. So in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, I'm doing this on purpose. We're going to take a look at all four Gospels real quick, connections to Luke and then Ephesians. In Mark 1, 14 through 15, the Gospel writer records the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry this way. In verse 14, he says, Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. And immediately after this, in the very next verse, Mark records Jesus' call of his first disciples. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, 
right after his mission was established, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I don't think that it's an accident that Mark's gospel account introduces Jesus's mission and his disciples' mission in such close proximity. The kingdom of God is at hand, he says first, repent and believe in the gospel, and then almost immediately thereafter, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. The kingdom of God is at hand, and he's calling his disciples to be a part of that, not just to the point of their salvation, but to continue by becoming fishers of men. So for those of us who are in Christ, it is crucial for us to remember that we were not just saved for some heavenly future with God. I know, I know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life or everlasting life. I know that, but everlasting life includes the life that we live right now. Eternity includes right now. So if we are called to Christ and we have accepted his gracious offer of salvation, if, if he has called us to be his followers, then, then he has also called us to live our lives now for him. And so... Of course, we, we were saved from something, our, our own sin and the, the just wrath of God against us because of that. But we were also called into something else. We were called into a life of obedience to God the Father and to God the Son and to God the Holy Spirit. We were called through the Great Commission to, to be Jesus' witnesses and, and to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them and to teach them everything that God has commanded. We are not to sit and wait idly at the bus stop for heaven. We are not merely to cling inwardly to some future hope. We as followers of Christ are called to live out our lives, not in insulation from the rest of the world, but actively involved in participation with the gospel message, with the kingdom of God as God's ambassadors in that work. So for those of us who are in Christ, we have important work to do. And I believe that it involves, for many of us, more fully embracing the gospel and I think that's something that we need to do, more fully embrace the gospel more and more as God works out our own sanctification in our lives. That this is something that we need to make more and more of a priority, that we need to learn more and more how can we participate with God through the Holy Spirit and through his word in this, this ministry to which he has called us. In the gospel, we find salvation, but our salvation is not the beginning of the gospel. And our salvation is not the end of the gospel. If we think that the gospel is just about salvation or, God forbid, just about our own personal salvation, then we've missed the mark. We've, we've missed what God's plan is and what his purpose is and, and what he establishes for us and reestablishes throughout the pages of his word. That the kingdom of God is about God. It is about his glory, that he receive glory and honor and praise that he deserves. It's about his grace that he offers us. But it's not about us. It's about him. And, and so, so what, what is this gospel? Well, um, as, as John Piper succinctly states in the title of one of my favorite books of his, God is the gospel. God is the gospel. You think about this. The word gospel means good news. And sometimes we, we confuse the idea of the gospel as, as those words, maybe from the Romans Road or maybe from John 3.16, that, that sort of offer the promise of our salvation. And we, we, we risk the danger of making the gospel more about us than about God. But John Piper, again, says God is the gospel. The gospel both begins and ends with him. As another John puts it, the G of the gospel is the God. So there again, it begins with God. The G of the gospel is the God who created us, who before time began, eternally predated us. The O is our sin that right, rightly separates all of us from God who calls all of us to live lives of righteousness. The S is his only son he sent to the earth for us to please God the Father by fulfilling all righteousness. The P is the penalty he paid on the cross for us, even though he owed no debt in light of his sinlessness. The E is the everlasting life that he offers us and seals with his spirit at the moment he rescues us. And the L is the Lamb of God who waits on his throne for us while we strive for the crowns of righteousness he promises us. We think about the gospel, it begins and ends with God. God, who predated us, who lived and existed and had his being and all that before we were ever even thought in his mind. God is the beginning of the, of the gospel, and God is the end, the Lamb of God who, who will welcome us to his kingdom, not for our sake, but, but for his, for his good pleasure. The gospel is about God. He is the beginning and the end, and everything in between. 
As John, uh, the gospel writer, says in the beginning of his gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, namely Jesus, was in the beginning with God. And then John goes on to say that all things were made through him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then if I could briefly interject Jesus' own words from the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you too, speaking to his followers, are the light of the world. If you're in Christ, your life is, or at least ought to be, a glow with the light of life that you caught from Jesus. Don't hide it as, as under a basket, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. But, but in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Show them your good works and tell them about the good works of God. Jesus himself says in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, he says, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, bringing back payment to repay all those for what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus says, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Let me say that again. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God is the gospel from beginning to end and everything in between. It's not about us, it's about him. I've already given away the answer, but that is in short the answer to, to an intriguing title in a book that some of you are studying during our adult Bible hours. Uh, Greg Gilbert has this book called What is the Gospel? And I don't think I'm spoiling anything for those of you that are in the class, but he breaks it down this way. He says that the good news of the gospel is this. He starts with God too. He starts with God. He says the good news of the gospel is this. God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. So again, he begins with God, and we'll see in a minute. He ends with God too. I think this is an excellent outline for sharing the gospel. That's, I hope, I haven't said it yet, but I hope that you can see my heart and understand that part of what I'm doing today is encouraging you to consider ways that you might share the gospel more than you have already been doing, or maybe there's a person in your life that you feel like perhaps God desires for you to share the gospel with. But in this, in this book, the short book, God is the Gospel, he begins with the idea of God. He says that, that God in the beginning created us. He is righteous and holy, and he demands of us holy perfection. And then that takes us to the second word, man. That's us, who, who because of our willful disobedience and rejection against God, deserved death and separation from him for all eternity. But then third, Christ, who took on flesh, obeyed God perfectly in every way, and willingly went to the cross for us. It wasn't just about us. It was for God and his eternal glory, but there are tremendous benefits and privileges that come to us through it. Though we owed a debt we could never pay, Christ, though he was perfect in every way and did not owe a death, died in our place. And so, so Christ, Christ pro provides us with that way for us to be made right with God. And then that brings us to four, the response. God, man, Christ, response. If by God's grace through the conviction of the Holy Spirit we are brought to repentance of our sins and faith in Christ, we will be saved. Not as a result of our own works, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, but by God's grace through faith in him. This is not our doing, it is the gift of God. And thank God for that. He doesn't require our own good works for salvation. Because if he did, we, we would all be condemned to hell forever. We can never earn our salvation. So praise be to him for offering us this opportunity to respond in faith to him. Paul writes in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh are evident. Think about this. The works of the flesh, what we do by our flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, um, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, Paul says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But so we all once were, and, and those of us who were in Christ, and Paul once was, before he encountered the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, before he, in, he was invited to join God's everlasting kingdom. And so, so now here we go. We're about to, to transition. I wanted to go through. We saw all the Gospels, mentions of God's mission for himself and for his son and, and the mission that he gave to his followers. Okay? Then in Acts 9, Luke writes, and of course Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke that we've been going through, 
He writes in the book of Acts about the story of Paul's conversion. So that's where we get that from. We see in this story that that Paul is is transformed by the power of this gospel. In Acts 9.15, the Lord said about Paul, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. This is something that I didn't notice until this past week. I love this. Look here. Look who Paul's target audience is here, who he's reaching out to with the gospel. It's essentially everybody. Listen, God, God chose Paul as an instrument, it says there in Acts 9, to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. So that's the non-Jews. And to carry the gospel to the children of Israel. So that is the Jews, the non-Gentiles. So that's everybody. And then he says, uh, he, 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 he made Paul his instrument to deliver the gospel to kings and children. Kings, think about it, adults, kings of high station, of high power, and children, the complete opposite. So, so Paul's target here is everybody, and we all know that he calls us to follow his example, to be imitators of me as I follow Christ, Paul says. He calls us to follow that example. Paul, the self-described chief of sinners who once breathed out murderous threats against the church, who hated the church's king and sought to destroy his kingdom, was redeemed by God's infinite grace and called to be one of the greatest ambassadors for Christ that the world has ever known. That gospel that transformed Paul, it begins and ends with God. It begins and ends with God. And so God, man, Christ response, we go back to Gilbert's four-word outline. But it concludes in that book, there's a fifth word, and that word is kingdom. And so the kingdom of God. And so like I told you before, in that short little outline, even though the, the fifth word doesn't have king in, or God in it, it, it does refer to God, the kingdom of God that God invites us to be a part of. God, man, Christ, response. So we, once we are brought into faith by God into his kingdom, the Holy Spirit does, in fact, give us a new life. And like Paul, we become citizens of a new kingdom. We become subjects of a new king. And because of that, we have new obligations. We have obligations now to serve that king, to live our lives in a way that brings him glory and honor. We are not only citizens of his kingdom, we are also called to be ambassadors of Christ our king. His earthly mission is complete, but ours most certainly is not. He calls us to be his mouthpieces. He calls us to be his ambassadors. He gives to us the ministry of reconciliation to, to call all peoples to repentance, to call people to be reconciled to God, to receive the gospel of salvation, and to join in the work of the gospel ministry. So let's look real quickly in 2 Corinthians 5. It's going to be on the screen. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, and of course we talked about that in Luke recently, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. For the love of Christ controls us, if we are in Christ, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Friends, that work has been started, but it is nowhere near complete. And that brings us back to Luke 12, but I promise we're about to move on from there. We're about to jump into Ephesians. In Luke 11, uh, 12, 11, Luke records these words of Jesus. He says, when you are brought before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Paul was almost certainly not present at that time, but those words still apply to him. We know, of course, that Paul himself was dragged before synagogues and rulers and authorities. We're going to see in Ephesians that, that Paul uses remarkably similar language even to, to Jesus' words here in Luke. Was Paul there when this was originally uttered? Almost certainly not, but, but perhaps Luke shared his message with Paul. They were, after all, traveling companions who went on multiple missionary journeys together. Maybe Paul heard these words from Paul 
Luke as they traveled. When Paul was brought before synagogues, when he was dragged in chains before rulers and authorities, let's, let's see how he trusted in God, that he, that he, God, was with him, Paul, every step of the way. So let's turn. This is going to be the last place we're going to be. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus as a prisoner in Rome who was awaiting trial before the emperor, who was, in fact, a known terrorist against Christians. Some of you may know a little bit about this particular emperor's background, but his name was was Nero, and he was famous, or infamous, I should say, for lighting his garden parties aglow with burning humans. But not just any burning humans, Christians who refused to submit to him as their sovereign king. He would wrap Christians in tar and hang them up above his garden parties and light them on fire. And this is the emperor who who Paul is awaiting trial before. So let's think about this. As he is facing possible torture and execution for questioning that emperor's so-called sovereignty and divinity, let's see how Paul recognizes that he is a citizen of a different kingdom. He was allegiant to a different king. I hope that as we look at this that you, you kind of listen to and hear echoes from Luke 12. Look here. Ephesians chapter 6. We see this. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, who, by the way, is the greatest enemy of God's kingdom. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Notice here the nearly parallel language that we heard in Luke 12. Luke and Paul, again, constant traveling companions. They ministered together and learned from and encouraged one another. They served along one another for many years. It's no wonder that that in this this passage, and we're going to look at it more closely, that in this passage we hear so much similar language between Luke and Paul. They were, after all, beloved co-laborers together in the gospel ministry. And praise be to God for their their godly legacies and their examples and their encouragement. And then in, in, in verse 13 we see Paul continuing on in this In this passage, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And Paul knows that God's people will, from time to time, be confronted with the evil schemes of the devil. Paul is facing such torment and difficulty in the very moment that he's writing this. He knows firsthand that this will happen because it's happening to him. He says, take up the whole army, or the whole armor rather of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, being girded up by the confidence that you have in the power of the word of God. And then having put on the breastplate of righteousness, which God imparts to us through Christ. And as shoes for your peace, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Though the world is against us, we can have peace because of this gospel. Remember back in Luke 12, how Jesus says that, that we are not to fear those that could destroy our body, but after that can do nothing. We, we have this, this peace that comes from the gospel. And then we, we have the knowledge and the, the faith that if we are in Christ, that we are in good hands. In life and death, we can rest in the sweet, blessed assurance that, that we are safely and forever God's. God apostrophe yes we are possessions of God we can know his peace and we can cling to it even in the most difficult of times so let's go back at the at verse 16 he says in all circumstances take up the shield of faith in all circumstances in all circumstances take up the shield of faith if you want to have a little fun as we look at the rest of this notice all the words all all the cases of the word all in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So our faith can, of course, protect us against the enemy because of the author of our faith. God is is in that. God will protect us. Our faith can shield us from the fear that so many of us face in so many circumstances, and particularly when we even think about sharing the gospel. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So remember these things. Remember the salvation that God has brought to you if you are in Christ. And remember the Spirit by which he has sealed you, and remember the word of God with which he has equipped you, 
not only for your salvation and sanctification, but also as, as a sort of a weapon to wield as an ambassador of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So pray for all the saints, all the believers. That's, that's us, that's, that's all the saints. And then he says, and pray also for me in verse 19, that, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Unless we miss it, he says, pray for all the saints and also for me, that I may have boldness. He changes from all the saints to I, so it can, can sometimes make us think, oh, well, he's just asking for boldness for him. But no, he's saying, pray for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me, that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And then he says, for which I am an ambassador in chains. This prayer, though, is a prayer that he is asking for all the saints. There it is in verse 18. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Making supplication for all and also for me. So, so to me, this is, this is this beautiful parallel here. It seems almost as if Paul was reading Luke as he was sitting there in that prison, awaiting his trial. He, he could have been. The, the gospel of Luke would have likely been available and circulating before uh, Luke's, I mean, sorry, before Paul's imprisonment. But regardless, they were traveling companions. They, they taught one another. They encouraged one another. Perhaps Paul had heard these words from Luke who, who, who shared them from the mouth of Jesus. We don't know how Paul got these words other than through the Holy Spirit's influence and, and, and presence in his life. But, but we do know that Paul was in chains and that Paul sought the Lord's boldness in his imprisonment. So that, t- that brings us to our three points, which are very short. We're almost done. The first point here from these last couple of verses is that God granted Paul copious opportunities to declare the gospel. Paul granted Paul, or God rather, granted Paul many, many, many opportunities to declare the gospel. And that's an in- interesting word, opportunities. We see in verse 18... We see, uh, well, uh, in above, we see the word circumstances in the passage used multiple times. The word opportunities, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, is a set of circumstances. The only difference between circumstances and opportunities is that opportunities bring about the possibility of something else happening. So we see here, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. What Paul is, is, is calling, I believe, his listeners, his audience to do is to strive to pray in all circumstances to be on the lookout for God's presence in their lives, to call for for God's presence to equip them with with peace and with faith and with boldness. He he asks for and sees these opportunities to declare the gospel. Like I said earlier, we we know that he was writing this letter as a prisoner awaiting trial. He was was almost certainly uh, chained to somebody else. Many people believe that he was chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard who were uh, an elite uh, squad of... um, bodyguards to the Roman emperors. They were merciless. And Paul was was very likely chained to one of them. And here he is asking for others to pray for him that in those circumstances, he would be able to boldly proclaim the gospel. He didn't just see them as, oh, well, this is the way things are. These are my circumstances. No, he saw them as opportunities to bring about some other possibility, to bring about the sharing of the gospel with the very people that enchained him. And so we see here that those were the circumstances Paul faced as he wrote the words. We don't have to speculate about what he considered those possibilities to bring him. In the first chapter of Philippians, you don't need to turn there, just just a couple verses, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and he's speaking about his, his separate imprisonment, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He recognizes that this is an opportunity to share the gospel. What happened to him was an opportunity Not many Christians today, at least not many in the United States, have faced these circumstances, being imprisoned because of our faith. But all of us are facing circumstances, perhaps very difficult ones. Maybe we're not in physical chains like Paul was. Maybe, maybe though, there are maybe some invisible chains that are only seen by God. Maybe maybe we're not technically allowed to share the gospel. Maybe, Maybe we work in a place where that's restricted. 
was a public school teacher for eight years, seven years. And during that time, I was not allowed to share the gospel for the bulk of the time, but I promise you, God gave me many opportunities before and after school and in other opportune moments. He gave me opportunities. Even though it seemed like I didn't have them, God gave them to me. Maybe we face crippling anxiety or fear or maybe physical pain that, that impedes us from sharing the gospel. Remember God's promise, Jesus' promise in Luke 12, that he will, he will be with us in those times. He will, he will equip us with his spirit. He will give us his strength. I wonder if you can see in any of your present circumstances opportunities to live out the gospel more fully. Maybe it's through your intentional good deeds so that others might see your good works and give praise to your Father in heaven. Or, or perhaps maybe there are opportunities before you to share the gospel and maybe you need to ask for and believe in God's promise to embolden you through his spirit, to replace your fears with, with his peace. Maybe fear and anxiety are your chains. Maybe your chains come in the form of ignorance. Maybe you feel like, oh, I don't know what to say. Well, God says that he will give you the words in that moment, but, but you don't have to wait until that moment. You can start now. You can hide the word of God in your heart. Paul, or Peter calls us to be ready in season and out of season to, to give a reason for the hope that lies within. Be ready. Be searching the word. Be learning ways like, like Greg Gilbert's you know, five-word gospel summary. Learn the Roman's road. Be ready if God provides opportunities for you. But know that when he does, which he does oftentimes do, that he will be there with you if you're in Christ. His spirit will be there with you. He will empower you through his presence. So, God granted Paul opportunities, and as we just looked at, God granted Paul recognition of those opportunities, okay? And then thirdly, Paul prayed for and even asked others to join him in praying for boldness to declare the gospel. Let's look again at Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. Paul tells the Ephesians that, that once they have thoroughly equipped themselves with the armor of God, they are to go on praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer, supplication. To that end, he says that they should make supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Notice there the repetition of that, that word bold. He asks them to pray for him that he would have boldness so that he will pray the, or share rather the gospel boldly as he ought to speak it. If we look back at, at, at Luke, we, we see that, that Jesus says that the, the Spirit will give you the words that you ought to speak in that time. Paul is saying here, I ought to speak these words. When I have opportunities to, to share the gospel, I ought to speak the gospel faithfully to those in my midst. And, and so, so Paul um, sees his opportunities. He recognizes them. And then he, he asks for and, and gets boldness from God. And this comes in part through the encouragement of others who are praying for him. He's, he's humbly asking others to pray for him for that. And so, so today, to, to, as, we, as we draw our time to an end here, I want to share with you briefly a, a prayer that's based on this. This is a prayer that I've been praying for something like 15 years. Not every day. I try to every day. But there are times in my life when I do more faithfully than others. But it's called the orb prayer. And it's taken from those three points. O-R-B. So O is, is to pray for opportunities. I strive to pray every single morning for opportunities to, to share the gospel with others. There are opportunities all around me, and I miss many of them. But I ask that God would give me those opportunities, and secondly, that he would give me recognition of those opportunities. I pray that God would allow me to see when there's opportunities to share. And then third, on Paul's model, or after Paul's model, I pray that God would give me boldness. That he would give me his word, which he promises that he will, and that he will give me his boldness, which he promises he will, and that in those moments, those opportunities that he gives to me, and I recognize that he would supply me with, with his presence, with his peace, with his boldness, with his word, with everything that I need. And he gives me opportunities. And he gives me recognition of those opportunities far more when I pray that prayer than when I don't. I want to share just super quick. Yesterday, my family was at the grocery store, and there was a, a young mother sitting outside the grocery store, and she had a little baby in her lap, and she had a little toddler running beside her. She had a sign on her lap saying that she was a single mother and that she was asking for food. And at the bottom it said, God bless. And so we went outside, saw that. We, we went back in the store and got some waters so we could give her waters. In the name of Jesus, 
and we gave her a little bit of money. And I felt that God was giving me an opportunity to share the gospel, but we were kind of busy. We were in a rush to get home. And we went home, and I felt like I missed an opportunity. But when we got home, my children both said to to me that they would like to give her some of their own money, which was such a blessing for me as a father to hear. And so I was like, all right. And we gathered some money. I put a bunch of dollar bills inside of a little New Testament, kind of along the Romans road, and I went back. And I asked her if it would be okay if I shared uh, shared with her something. So she had said on the bottom of her sign, God bless you. And, And I asked her if she wouldn't mind sharing with me about who that God was that she was asking for, uh, for us to receive the blessings of. And she said, well, I don't, I don't know. I just think that there's a God that, that, she said, provides us food to fill our bellies. And so I went to Acts 17, where, where Paul is praying in the Areopagus to, to the Greeks who are worshiping all these different gods, and they even had a statue to the, the unknown God. And I, I opened up to that, that verse, and I shared with her about that and, and asked her if it was okay if I continued sharing. And she was so happy and blessed that I was, I was there to share with her because she felt like there was this God, but she didn't know him. That was an opportunity that I recognized by God's grace and that God supplied me with boldness to share with her. Not just her. There were people passing by that stopped, and I was able to share with others. And this is, this, this is the sort of things that happen when, when I'm praying that prayer. And I, I've been praying that every day for a long time now. And God has given me opportunities. I was, I was in, a, in a fender bender not too long ago, and I had just finished praying that prayer just not a few moments beforehand, and a car rear-ends me. And I'm like, wow, instead of being upset, I'm going to try to seize this as an opportunity to share the gospel. And I shared the gospel with a young lady who was terrified, and it was her fault, and she was so upset, and I shared with her the gospel message. And today she's our sister in Christ. And, and that was an opportunity that I could have easily missed if I had not prayed that prayer, if I had not recognized that, hey, in this midst that God has something potential, uh, some potential for, for this person. If I had not prayed for boldness, I, I am a coward. I am such a cowardly person. If I had not asked for and relied on God's boldness, I wouldn't have done it. I really don't think. So this prayer, this ord prayer, is something that I invite you to consider praying as we think through this text, that you would ask God to give you opportunities to share his gospel, that you would ask him to allow you to recognize those opportunities, and then finally you would ask him to give you boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel boldly as you and I and all believers everywhere ought to speak it. Let's pray. Father God, you are wholly good. We are not deserving of your grace, but you offer it to us anyway, and we thank you for that. God, I am so grateful that that you called me away from my sin. God, that you called me away from my rebellion against you, that you opened your kingdom to me and to so many in this room and and to so many others outside of this room, and that your kingdom doors are open now, even for for those in this room that maybe have not yet given their lives to you, Father. I pray that you would draw us not just to repentance and faith if we are not in Christ, but if we are in Christ, that you would draw us with your presence into the boldness and the, the peace and the security that comes from knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you would supply us with your peace and your presence and your word and your boldness and all that we do and help us to become more actively involved in the gospel ministry to which you have called us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have any questions, um, you are welcome to come find me. I'll be here up at the front. Uh, Pastor Brandon and the rest of our <laughs> ministry staff is going to be back next week, so you can ask them. Or if there's anybody uh, sitting around you who you know to be a, a, a faithful brother or sister in Christ, feel free to ask them if you have any questions about anything at all. As our, our worship team uh, plays, let us try to reflect upon and consider what God might be calling us to do.